Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, we are starting a series on mental health. Yes. And not only are we starting a series on mental health, but we are going to have a special guest come back at the end of each episode who's already been on our podcast before. One of my favorite people that we interviewed was Allison Cook. Yeah, I know. She's a uh, licensed certified therapist. She wrote Boundaries for Your Soul. We had her on episode 68 and then also had her on the August bonus episode because she was so amazing. And we just happened to have this conversation where we're talking to her after the interview and just said, hey, what would you think about coming on as kind of like a resident counselor every once in a while if we wanted to pick a theme or a topic and give us kind of your expertise on that particular topic? She was like, yeah, I'm game. So we're doing that. So you're not going to want to miss right after this interview, Allison's going to come on and kind of give us her vantage point, her perspective as a licensed counselor, someone who has worked with so many different types of um, uh, types of, of trials and tragedies that people are walking through, but specifically has kind of a, a seat of a little bit more expertise on the topic of mental health than what, what we do. Yeah. And so we wanted to make sure that we're providing some very helpful resources for you. If you're currently walking through something difficult, you're struggling with de- depression, anxiety, if you have a family member or, fr- or a friend who is, and so Allison's voice of expertise is going to be super helpful and resource you really well. Don't miss that. I know some of you guys, when you're done with the interview, you're like, okay, cool, it's done. But I'm telling you, right after the interview, Allison's going to be on and she's going to give us a little bit more um, of, of some, some helpful, uh, I don't want to say tips because it's not that, but it'd be some helpful resourcing for you. Resourcing and commentary, yeah, I think it'll be really valuable. It's really awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about today's interview with Sarah. Um, Sarah is a missionary to Uganda, and uh, I am so thankful just for everything that she shares mm-hmm. in today's episode um, about her struggle with um, anxiety and depression. So one thing I really resonate with Sarah is that I, Charlie and I did missions in Johannesburg um, in 2011. Oh, wow. And um, it was, we led a team of 12 students and we shared our faith on um, Vitz College campus. Hmm. And it was, uh, it was fun, but it was also kind of scary. Like you realize how, um, maybe like unsafe the rest of the world is. So oh, yeah, every in sure. our house, like every window had bars on it. Every door had two doors. Um, every house had a fence that was like 14 or 15 feet high with like spikes and electrical wow. currents. And then even in our neighborhood, like every few houses had a security guard that yeah. just kept watch. And so the, so anyway, um, the one thing that was like super amazing though is we ate like kings and queens over there. Like our the date <laughs> nights that we went on, we went to this one thing place called like Moyo, and like our, we got our face painted, and we're eating like zebra and giraffe and alligator and like all these things. Oh it was amazing. It sounds so, so exotic. Well, so we went on a safari. It was so crazy. We saw like four out of the big five animals. Um, but towards the end of our trip, I actually found out that I was pregnant, oh, and wow. so. So, so we like to joke that our firstborn is African American. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we found you out. Probably conceived in Africa. 
Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> she's our sweet little souvenir that we brought back. The, um, <laughs> what a great souvenir. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you know, the, on kind of a, a more serious note, w- one of the things that Christy and I got the opportunity to to spend um, uh, three weeks with so, several missionaries from all different parts of the country and kind of had our eyes opened up to the hardships of the mission field. You know, we think we think that ministry is difficult here in the states, and it is. Ministry always comes with it. This um, this element of opposition. The enemy does not want the gospel to advance, but he especially doesn't want it to advance into places that are unreached. Yeah, into places that most people won't go, and places where there's no foundation. And so, it is just a climate for difficult, difficult tilling up of soil, and it can cause a lot of. Um, uh, it can cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, loneliness, feelings of, you know, uh, frustration. And so uh, it's a really fascinating conversation with Sarah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you guys are definitely going to enjoy this. Yeah. Speaking of trips out of the country, I'm getting super pumped for our Israel trip in mm-hmm. October 2020. Yes. Um, there are only 50 spots available, people. So you listen better jump up on and this listen fast. good. Yes. Um, <laughs> The invitation goes first and foremost to our monthly partners, and we will be sending that out on September 16th. So if you yeah. are not a monthly partner of ours, um, you can go to um, nothingiswasted.com slash partners, and you mm-hmm. can um, become one of those. So we would love to have you on this trip with us. Yeah. And I'm going to reiterate that because when I put this out on social media and just said, who wants to go to Israel with this? Over 150 people said, count me in. So these 50 spots are going to fill up fast. You're going to want to get preferential treatment on being able to register for this. Go and sign up to be a monthly partner of ours. Nothingiswasted.com slash partners. While you're doing all of that housekeeping, while you're on the World Wide Web and you're searching through these things, go ahead and rate and review the podcast. We would love to have you uh, write a review in. We love reading these things. And follow us on Instagram, Nothing is Wasted Ministries. Um, in fact, Mel, uh, I want to read a review that someone just put up here recently. Uh, it's titled Source of Hope and Inspiration. I started listening to the podcast when I was going through a very difficult time last year. I gained so much strength listening to people who had been through worse than I could imagine, but remained Mm -hmm. steadfast in God. I listened to a lot of podcasts, but none gives me the hope and encouragement that this one does. I mean, I'm telling you, that ministers to our heart so much. As much as you think that we're ministering to your heart, man, when we hear about how this is affecting you and impacting you, it really encourages us. Oh, yeah. Keeps us going in this whole thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of encouraging stories, let's listen in on Sarah's now. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's so great to have you. It's so good to be here with you. It's good to see your face again. Um, We have met Sarah just kind of along the journey and you're a missionary, which is just incredible. It's a life that I've thought about before, but I'm like, no, dear Lord, please don't ever call me to Africa. So many people have probably said that, and yet you were called to Africa. (laughs) I said that before, so I kind of feel like people shouldn't say it because then God's like, let me show you. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, man. Did you always know that you wanted to be a missionary? Absolutely not. Um, I have a very distinct memory of being, I think, around eight years old. There was an African missionary visiting our church, showing the slides. And I remember like thinking, like jungles, big bugs, like who would ever want to go there? <laughs> um, and just being like, cool, 
glad I'm not there. Um, And then, yeah. And then God has like plans that are so different than we expect, but they're also Mm -hmm. so much greater than we could ever dream. And just a sense of humor, I think. Oh, he's hysterical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's hysterical. Oh, man. Well, why don't you tell the listener a little bit about you, kind of what... What's going on in your world? Yeah. So I'm Mr. in Uganda. I've been in July. It'll be my 10 year anniversary in Uganda, which wow. kind of blows my mind. Yeah. I did not know it's, that. It's always warm there. So it just feels like a constant summer. <laughs> so for me, it's just been like, haven't I just been here for like a little bit? <laughs> That's um, awesome. But Uganda's home. It's, I love it so much. So um, there I teach a few different groups of people. I teach a Bible interpretation class at my church there. Okay. Um, is not a cultural thing for people to pass on knowledge. And so it's something that our goal is to say, here's this knowledge that most people have never learned. Um, people get evangelized, but there's no discipleship because mm. this knowledge generally isn't passed on by anyone. Um, mm. Even pastors often don't disciple or they won't teach because then they'd fear that they'd lose their jobs because someone would take their power from wow. them. So knowledge is power there. So because of that, most people have never learned how to study their Bible. So I've been co-teaching with my, um, the associate pastor at my church now teaching really the basics of how do you read the Bible in context? How do you interpret this correctly? How do you then communicate this? Um, and that's been like an absolute thrill. Um, but then the main thing what I do is I work with girls who are right before university and in university, um, they have a gap year in Uganda between high school and college. And so it's a year about like nine months where the girls have nothing to do. Um, so they come to my house and I teach them American cooking methods. They teach me, I'm not American, more Western general yeah. cooking methods. And then they um, teach me African cooking methods and we dance around my kitchen and listen to the beach boys. And, <laughs> um, and then we talk about life and God and theology and relationships. And that is like the highlight of my life. Those girls are my heart. Um, And then I also help to lead a young women's ministry in Uganda as well at my church. So it's a really, really good life. Man, that's, that's incredible. So you stay really, really busy, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) like the best kind of busy, like relational busy is just kind of fun busy for me. So that's just, it's a blast. Like and whenever people talk about like the suffering missionary, I'm always like, it, you, like it's someone else then. Mm. Like I, I'm living it really good. I just have a very strong community there, which I am very privileged to have that. Um, and it's such a gift. So yeah, that's not, life. that's not typical on the mission field to have a really strong, healthy community. I know, you know, it's fascinating. So when I first came, I, my first two years, I was working with um, a child sponsorship ministry like with my missions organization. And I walked into the perfect situation, which was such a gift where it was already a group of Ugandans that were just solid, amazing Ugandan men and women that became my closest friends. And so few people get that privilege. And so I just was able to have amazing Ugandans around and then just spent years building trust because there's another part of the culture where because knowledge is power, people don't share the truth. Mm. And so people, it's seen as better to lie to you because if I lie to you, then I have the knowledge and you don't have the knowledge. And so I have the power. So no one generally trusts each other in Uganda as well. So for my job then became, how do I build trust to have deeper relationships here? So it was three years before I had my first like reciprocal friendship. Um, Wow. 
now I have like a solid like group of like six phenomenal, amazing Ugandan friends that are like foundational in my life. And it just took years, but the fruit of that is the best thing ever. And so that's, I'm so, so lucky to have those guys in my life. And Sarah, that's like, um, I feel like that's a testament in and of itself. Like the, in, in Western culture, which you very much know, especially in today's day and age, the phenomenon for I feel like women particularly is this desire to make this deep, quick bond immediately with friends. Like, yeah. and if they don't find that reciprocation right away, then it's like they're either devastated or they move on to the next thing or they like the friendship wasn't panning out the way they wanted it to. And, and that I feel it's so prevalent in church world. You know, there's yeah. this, this gross expectation of what a friend is supposed to look like for you. And so they place all these expectations on a friend and here you are, Understanding that the culture, first of all, it's terrifying that like everybody lies to each other, you know, like you don't know yeah. what the truth is. And then you're having to work really hard to create these reciprocal friendships and build trust. Yeah. Gosh. I remember one of my prayer requests, one of my home assignments, people asked, how do we pray? And I said, you know, pray that I keep trusting even when trust keeps getting broken. Because wow. it was a heartbreaking journey at the beginning of like just constantly being lied to. Um, I'd be like, and it's so, I mean, every culture has their own cultural sins that they justify. So for their lying is a big one of those. America has numerous cultural sins. Like the Christian American culture has many cultural sins that are justified and seen as not as bad in our culture. Um, and so that's theirs, that they're like, it's not that big of a deal. You're saving face and it's a shame culture. So, yeah. you know, um, so for them, it's like, like you have to, that's, you have to lie. Right. Like that's what has to happen. Um, and for us, we have our own cultural sins. So I feel like oftentimes, we can hear other like the stories of other places and be like, oh, those like crazy people who who do that. And it's like, no, no, like we're all guilty of our own mm. cultural sins that we justify. But that's theirs. And so it, it is one of the hard bits of being there. But all the more honor, like when trust is built. Wow. Like that, like for me, that is the I always tell my friends, like I feel so undeserving that they allow me to be a part so deeply of their lives there. That is not something that's expected. I'm a foreigner. Um, it is not an expected thing. And so when it happens, it just feels like I am so honored to be a part of it. Wow. Which, you know, our listener can't look at you right now, but you're, you know, blonde haired, um, extremely white. So you're very much not Ugandan. So white, like whiter <laughs> than the other white people in Uganda. And my friends are always like, but how? How are but you how, so well, white? Well, here's my point. This is a beautiful thing because you have learned how to literally go ex- like extreme cross-cultural here in this in, in mis- this mission's work, which I imagine is, ex- is very difficult. Um, and it, it comes with it a lot of... Um, just uh, trying to break through certain cultural mores and like what you said, cultural sins and trying to, you're an outsider coming in on some things. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. What's your journey been like with, with that? I mean, you've already said a little bit, but are there yeah. other things that have really, that it's, it's painfully obvious to you as you're stepping in to try to break through to this culture with ultimately the purpose of really ministering to, you can't minister to somebody unless there is trust. Yeah. There. And every relationship is based on trust is the reality. And so that that's something that you're like, all right, that has to be started. Um, I think generally in missions, you just have to be constantly ready that you're going to be making a fool of yourself constantly. Mm. And there's no, like 10 years in, there's still moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, like 
I'm so embarrassed like that just happened or just like being a complete cultural blunder. Um, and again, this is where I have amazing friends where I'm constantly asking, hey, what do I do in this? Yeah. Or what did I just say? And yeah. how did that get perceived? And so I think there's just constant that, which is hard because it's embarrassing. And you want to be like, <laughs> maybe at some point I'm not going to embarrass myself, but it's just the reality. Mm. And the reality too is with missions, it's like a Ugandan will be better at reaching Ugandan more than I will ever be. Mm. And so that I've always seen in my role of saying, again, so knowledge is power. How I pass my knowledge on. So then Ugandans can have that power of knowledge themselves and just then prayerfully, then hopefully they would pass that on. Um, that's because that's the goal. So I think right. I also, it's a view of myself of saying, like, I love living in Uganda. I could happily live there forever. It's home to me with at the same time asking God, is this where you still want me? And talking very openly with my Ugandan partners and friends of saying, man, like I'm doing this now. I think it can be passed on. Don't let me keep holding on to it. Because there's just missionaries that can hold on too long and say like, this is my project. This mm. is this is my thing. And there's a danger. I mean, in all sorts of ministry and all sorts of life for us to hold on too tightly to something and say like, this is mine and I have this. Instead, it's like, no, like this is the Lord's. Yeah. And so... I don't ever want to get in the way of his work there. So that's just a constant conversation of saying, Ugandans need to be the one that are leading these things and who are teaching how to study the Bible, who are, I mean, they're able to do that, who are discipling their own youth. And that's always going to be the better option. So then it's just a constant seeking of my own heart saying, yeah, I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make loads of mistakes because I'm not from this culture. And I will always be a learner, always learning, always mm. learning. You know, if I'm there for 50 years on, I will have, there's no point where you stop learning. But the goal is then to say with that learning, Lord, then what you have for me to do, because this isn't my life. That's, that's the reality. We wow. give our lives to him and it's no longer ours. So that's that point of surrender of saying, wherever you have me, God, it's, it's yours. Wow. That's, that is, that's amazing because, you know, you touched on, not only is that, in missions work that it's the most effective missions work is like, you know, helping to train the folks who are indigenous to that culture so that they can, like you said, Ugandan's going to reach into Ugandan the best. And so you're creating, even from day one, creating this ministry to not be built around you. But yeah. man, in, in Western culture, we could learn so much, take a massive page out of that book because there's so much ministry that is built around personalities. There's so much yeah. ministry that is held with a closed fist saying like, okay, I've got to be in this. I need to be the one making the difference in this. I need to be the one. And I don't, I don't know if necessarily starts with that motive, but it begins to get built around you and, and your identity gets wrapped up in it. And so then you can't pass yeah. it off properly to, for more effective ministry. Um, but you're like living and breathing this open-handed and ever increasing open-handed life. That's with, my prayer. Yeah. My constant prayers. And that's been my prayer for years of saying, God, help me to just live open-handed and not closed-fisted mm. because there's such a danger of this closed-fisted life, uh, which is, I think, natural. Like we want to control things and we want yeah. to, um, yeah, well, really just control. I want to control <laughs> things. I like to have control of things. I like to make sure everything is going just as I want it to, um, which is, again, just God's sense of humor. Yeah of having me be in Africa where like nothing goes as it's supposed to, nothing goes to plan. Mm. And so it's just this, I try to hold on to things and God's like, seriously, like it's a joke that you're just keeping trying to do this. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. so it's, a, it's such a struggle for that. But then such a realization of saying, when I try to control it, 
it's not right. This isn't what God has for me and things yeah. are going to go wrong. And so what God has for me is, I mean, clearly like the journey of even me getting to Uganda, like no part of this was my, my own doing. And he just made it so clear from the beginning of saying, it's not mine. None mm. of this is mine. Every ounce of this is his. Every point of my story, weaknesses along the way, like every part of this shows God's greatness into it and yeah. my weaknesses because to him be the glory in yeah. every aspect of this. That's so good. You know, I've recently come to understand even more, but I've always understood that missionaries have um, unique challenges, uh, unique um, journeys, unique hardships along the way that some of them can relate. You know, I can relate as a pastor in the United States or someone who's doing ministry in the United States. Some are very congruent, but some are also extremely unique to missions work in general. Um, and then I'm sure you have some unique challenges in just your journey yeah. as you have, you know, been there in Uganda for 10 years or as you've been doing ministry for however long that has been, both the United States and Uganda. Why don't you take us on a little bit of a journey of some of that, some of those challenges that you've faced, some of the hardships that you've had to walk through um, in the type of ministry that you're doing? You know, it's funny. I think if you would have asked me that question, man, like even like eight months ago, I would have said, I mean, there's not a lot of struggle with this. Cause mm -hmm. like, I really, I absolutely love my life. I love my job. Um, I love what I get to do. I love my community there. I love my church there. Um, and so it was very easy in a sense, many ways, my life is like the dream. It's a great, easy job. Um, and there's kind of two journey parts to it, if I'm able to talk about them. And yeah. one of them is actually getting to Uganda, which, um, and then the other part is being there. So I'm going to kind of like go beginning and then go after if that's cool. Do it. Yep. Let's oh. go. Um, so like I said, like I never had ever wanted to be a missionary. Like it was really not on the table <laughs> ever. Um, so I went to university and I went to a Christian university and I thought, um, I have no idea what I want to major in. Um, I'm thinking nothing. So I, I remember my sophomore year, I was walking around campus and I can tell you exactly where I was. Um, there's a few moments in my life where God has really spoken to me directly. And this was one of them. And I was debating, should I major in communications, minor in psychology or like major in psychology, uh, minor in communications. And so I was just kind of debating like the pros and cons of each as I walked. And I had been taking some religion courses. Uh, my brother used to go to this university. He was like, whatever you major in, just like take like these certain religion courses because they're mm. great. And so I was like, cool. So I did. Um, and I was like, you know, I've really been enjoying those classes though. Um, hmm, like, I wonder if I could minor in religion because that would be pretty interesting. And as I thought that I was walking up these stairs and God spoke to me and said, do you trust me enough to major in religion? Mm. And it shocked me to the point where I stopped on these stairs and I said, no. <laughs> And I kept walking and I gave him all these logical reasons why that was the dumbest idea. Like I was paying for my own college. I was like, God, I'd like to get a job someday, maybe with a salary. Like, yeah. what would I do with a major in religion? Mm. And he just kept asking that question over and over again to the point where I was trying like, okay, fine. But like, you better have a plan for this because I really don't see a future in this. So I majored in religion finished with that. I was going to go on to my master's. I was going to do master's of counseling to balance out this nonsensical undergrad that I had. <laughs> um, 
And that's when God really spoke of saying, um, I want you to go to seminary. Mm. And I was ticked. Like, what in the world? I was like, so two nonsensical degrees, Lord? Two? So like, let me let, let me let me stop right there because yeah. I, I think this is really this is really intriguing. Many people would probably ask the question, okay, when you say God spoke, especially things that are contrary to what you're you're envisioning, things that you're yeah. maybe even desiring. What did that look like? Like practically, what does that mean? What did that mean God spoke to you, you know? The first one on the stairs, it really was like I heard a voice kind of wow. thing. Um, I would say for the even seminary, I very much heard a voice. And it was like that. And I hate to use feelings because I'm generally not a feelings person. Um, but it really is that like deep sense in you where you know, hmm. this is what you're supposed to do. And you know within yourself, if I don't do this, I am disobeying God. Wow. Like that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Saying, I know this is what he wants me to do and I don't want to do it. <laughs> but I know that if I don't say yes to this, I'm disobeying him. Yeah. That was the conversation actually with the seminary one where I was like, God, like enough. Like mm. one degree was enough for that nonsense. And what God spoke then, because he spoke again and he said, these degrees are not to further your name and your glory. These degrees are to further my name and my glory. Wow. So lay them down. They're not even yours. Wow. And it just was it literally felt like a slap to the face of like, <laughs> oh, so it's not about me. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Um, so it was just like a wake up call of saying, all right, Lord, I have absolutely no clue what you're doing. Um, but I'm going to trust that you got a plan in all this. Um, in the meantime of all that, I had actually gone to Kenya on a short-term trip right after I graduated undergrad. And it was a years-long buildup of God introducing me to just different African missionaries. You um, two, Obano was doing a tour at that time of different churches and Christian colleges saying, here's the Bible says to do for widows and orphans. Here's what's happening in Africa. Mm. And I was like, what's happening in Africa? Um, and then I met a Kenyan on campus and God just through her really said like, you need to go. Mm. Um, so it was like a years long buildup. I, in 2005, I went to Kenya for the first time and it was the craziest experience of where I would meet people for the first time and have like this deep, crazy love for them. Wow. And I was like, how how is this love? Like, what is this? And it was just the automatic knowledge of like, this is so deep. It's not my love. It's the love of God. Wow. What does it mean? So then started seminary. And then through that graduated seminary was like, I don't want to go as a missionary. Um, cause I don't want to raise support. I'd rather have a salary. Cause again, clearly my life was very concerned about this. And so I was like looking at NGO jobs, looking at all these other things. And God literally closed every door besides two missions organizations. And so like people will often be like, so when were you called to missions? And I'm <laughs> like, like literally when God closed every other door. Wow. Um, and at the same time, he built something that was greater than I could ever dream it. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. So my first few years I was working in an administrative job. And then it was like almost like a two-year vision trip of saying, um, like, what could I, could I live here and love it? And if so, what would God actually have me to do that I would love to do? Yeah. So I was working an admin job. I started teaching high school girls. And from that teaching high school girls, it literally, there's one night I was lesson planning and it was just like, God just like opened my eyes and just was like, and the phrase that he has used, he used then, and he still uses in my life today. He says, Sarah, I had to qualify you for the calling I was putting on your life. Wow. 
And so all these things that you didn't know were happening, like I had to qualify you for this calling. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so these things put these little pieces together and I was like, oh, that's what <laughs> And so started that, came back as a long-termer. And then I started doing, through like a lot of other journeys of other closed doors and open doors. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing what I'm doing now. And it's just so much better than I ever ever planned it but that's how god does like yeah and that's where like the journey of surrender i feel like is more of like the theme that he keeps showing me of saying you keep trying to close fist it yeah and i keep saying stay open to what i have for you wow um which goes into like the missions question which again i think any other time i would be like like it's not really a big deal yeah like I love it. Other people have like major, like you have missionaries and huts. Like I live in a city of like 3 million people. Mm. It's like a different world. I feel very spoiled. Um, And it's still developing country and there's absolutely crazy things. And there's um, insanely unique stresses. Um, I was actually just telling someone today about how like in driving over there in in Kampala, it is literally you have a near-death experience every single day of your (laughs) life there. And it's not an exaggeration. Wow. And every day that, that wears on you, every time you get in your vehicle, you just think... This could be it. This could be it. Mm. Um, and it's, it's exhausting. Man. Um, wow. You stand out. Like, I'm white. So, like, no matter where I am, yeah, I'm always being stared at, which could seem fun, like, on a two-week <laughs> missions trip. But let me tell you, after 10 years, you're like, guys, like, yeah. I'm white. I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, stop pointing at me. <laughs> Um, yeah, before we, before we dive into the missions yeah. part of things, I want to go, I want to circle back and talk a little bit about this yeah. journey to, um, Uganda or to actually yeah. answering the call to, to ministry. How long was that between like college and when you actually, okay, here I am packing my bags, heading to, um, this first missions assignment in Uganda. Um, I will back it up even further. Um, when I was a junior in high school, God called me to forgive someone, um, and it was a really long journey of learning how to forgive. And I had a youth pastor that was really on me about that of saying, like, Sarah, you cannot go off to college and mm. not, like and leave with unforgiveness in your heart for this. Because you need to start new with this. You need to obey the Lord in this. And so um that step of forgiveness, I I see as a catalyst for everything God has done since. Because mm. wow. that sin was so in between God and I that if I had not dealt with it, um, if I had not really chosen forgiveness in that time, I think it would have hindered me from hearing him in any other way. And I think it would have hindered the journey in so many different ways. And so I look back to that and say, that yeah. was a moment that really changed things. So then when I, um, yeah, it started probably, it was eight years, right? Wow. Yeah, eight years. Wow. From I mean, because God knew he had to take it low and slow with me. He was like, she's not on a fast track for missions. She's like, <laughs> the, I call the baby step process. Mm. Like I wasn't ready for any leaps. It was just like the baby steps at a time yeah. getting there. So then I was finally, and then even with missions generally, it was I did a couple two-week trips to Kenya. And then I did two years in Uganda. And then I signed up for long-term. So right. I needed like a step by step, not like a leap by leap. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I've asked the question because I've been, uh, you know, I've had friends who have gone that route of answering a call to missions and have gotten frustrated and disenfranchised in the process. Um, and I, I want to, I want to highlight that word process yeah. Yeah. because 
in all of our callings, there's a process, no matter what the calling is. And, and I, we talk about, obviously, the podcast, Nothing is Wasted. We talk about how God doesn't waste your pain, but he also doesn't waste the process. And you, said, so you said something earlier that he had to spend time qualifying you for the call. He doesn't call the qualified. Yeah. He qualifies those who he calls. Exactly. But that qualification yeah. process takes some time. I mean, you look at all throughout Scripture, you see time before, you know, when someone is, is told a promise and before that promise comes to fulfillment. You look at David, who's anointed king, but it's like 15 years, many scholars believe, before he's appointed king. You look at Joseph, who receives this dream, but it's about 13 years of a lot of hardship before he actually steps into that dream. And um, that's important because all along the way, you look at both of those journeys, and I hear you saying that you look at your journey, God's giving you all along the way tools in your tool belt that you don't even know. You're like, wait a minute, yeah. what do I need a hammer for? Hold on a second. Yeah. Wait, why do I need this uh, this chalk line? Like what? And then you realize, oh, I'm supposed to build a house. And now God has, over the course of this process, given me the tools for this. And I just want to encourage somebody even right now that maybe listen to this, like, you might be like, why? Come on, God, now let's go. You know, especially in the years that you were in and college and thereafter where it's like, why am I not at the place I thought I should be? And it, yeah. God doesn't waste the process. He does. It's actually, that's an encouraging thing even now. And the process I'm going through now in life, you just think there's such a process that he brings us through. Mm. Um, and it can seem just like, when God, how long, oh Lord, how yeah. long? <laughs> um and he's there and is he's there throughout of it. Joshua is like my main um best friend in the Bible. Um he doesn't know we'll <laughs> I love how you just said that. We're best friends, he doesn't know it, you know. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know it. But when we get to heaven, Josh and I are gonna like hang. You're out. looking for him first. You're like, Where's yeah, Joshua? I'm serious. I'll be like, You don't even know. Like, because Joshua was called and was terrified. Mm. And I am Enneagram six, wing five, and like <laughs> I am such a fear-based person and very motivated by fear mm. and have always been. I can look back to childhood and be like, yeah, my entire life. Wow. Um, Which is amazing that you answered a call to go to Africa, motivated it's by fear. True. People say that. And I'm like, it's true. If it wasn't really, and I think that's why I needed an eight-year process. <laughs> and I needed um, that slow kind of journey of God mm. saying, like, I'm here mm. and I have a plan. Wow. I'm here. Like, and to make it so clear, like, this is what I have for you to do. And he doesn't always make things clear, obviously. Yeah. And those times he was like, seriously, this is what you're going to do. Um, and I needed that yeah. because of that. So yeah, Joshua, man, God like told him or Moses told him like, hey, um, you're going to go to this Thomas land, right? Like, but yeah. don't be afraid. Like God's going to be with you. And then clearly Joshua is still terrified. Um, so God himself tells him like, Joshua, like, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Um, strong and courageous. Like I'm going to be with you. Mm. Um, and then we have the Israelites who were their own messed up deal in that moment. They were like, they were their own little hot mess going yes, on. And were. then even they were like, but like, seriously, Joshua, like, <laughs> don't be afraid. Because clearly you're terrified. Yeah. And that fear and that for me, Joshua is such that thing that God keeps bringing me back to of saying, Joshua had no clue what he was going into. Yeah. None at all. And the thoughts of it was absolutely terrifying. And he could have been paralyzed in fear and just like, said, guys, we're just not going to go there. We're going <laughs> to stay on the border and we're just going to chill out here because like the future is terrifying. Yeah. And that God and the specific words that he said of like, be strong and courageous, like do not be afraid. Mm. Like I'm going to be with you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not calling you to something and then saying, hey, good luck on the journey because like That's right. I got you there. He's with us in the journey. That's right. He's 
gone before us. Like he's by our side. And I think that aspect of that has been my comfort through everything through this whole process of this, through being in Uganda for 10 years, every after that God, every time I'm afraid, which is, you know, every day, like, (laughs) like, but I'm with you. I'm going before you. I'm by your side. I will never leave you in this. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why my best friend. Yeah. We're going to have so much to talk about. Well, it's amazing. I hadn't thought about that. You ever thought about like, you're an Enneagram six. You speak the language of our listeners. We all speak Enneagram, everybody. Yeah. All all the listeners, all of them do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. At least after they've listened for a little while, they're intrigued by the Enneagram because we talk about it so much. But you ever wondered if Joshua was, was an Enneagram six? Oh, he had to be a six. That's fascinating. I never, I hadn't thought about that. But then to think about the idea that he and Caleb were the only two spies that came back and and they were like, hey, we can do this. Like, we can do this, you know? Yeah, And yet he's the one that, you're right, he seems so terrified in all the other situations. Wow. So interesting. I think in that, like, because people say that often of like, you're a missionary in Africa, how can you be yeah. motivated by fear? And I'm like, but when God makes it clear yeah. in the path, I don't, there's just an assurance and a peace that comes with it. And as Enneagram 6 is, we look towards authority. So okay. like God in that authority sense, like if we allow him to really work in that, yeah, that's where we find our safety and security in him because we're always searching for safety and security. Yeah. And as God keeps telling me these days, he's all like, I am your safety. And That's security. good. You're looking around for everything else to grab onto, but like I am that. Yeah. You're gonna like falter and everywhere else in this because no one else is gonna be secure and safe for yeah. you like I am. Well, it's so cliche to say, but as a reminder, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. Yeah. Right. It's action. So it's action in the midst of fear. Yes. Like I think that sometimes we think fear is this thing that we're not, we're not supposed to feel fear. Like the, the, hold on. If you have faith, you're not supposed to feel fear. No, we're, we're not supposed to act in fear. We're going to yeah. feel it. And that's why scripture says it 366 times. One, yes. for, one for every day of the year. Fear not. I know, which is what I think speaks to me the most in that. Um, I was just, someone quoted yesterday or not yesterday, another day about, um, the, your enneagram is not your destiny, hmm. and I've just been holding on That's to that good. thing. It's so true. Like, I can be like, yes, I am motivated by fear, but now how do I live my life? And especially as a believer, yeah, because I'm not going. If I keep living in fear, if that becomes my everything, yeah, um, I don't want that life. Yeah, so it's not my destiny. But now I know that I am. It's like, okay, so how do I, how do I live for the Lord in this? How mm. do I hold on to Him in the midst of all my fears? And I think that's the key right there because I I don't think scripture says fear not to us as like a rebuke. I think it's saying I think it's saying to us as a reminder and a reassurance. Yes. I'm with yes. you. Okay. I'm with you. You you're gonna feel fear, but don't act in fear because I'm with you. Isaiah forty three, though the waters yes. may rise around you, you will not be overcome by them. Though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Psalm twenty three, I, I don't have to fear because you're with me, you know? Yeah. That so. constant, it is such a comfort. For me, it's like a warm blanket hug sense. Mm. It's just like, hey, don't be afraid. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Because I'm here. Yeah. And it's that comfort of saying, I know you're scared, but I'm here. Mm. Um, and it's, it is. I just feel like this a hug and an embrace from the Lord in those statements. Just taking a quick break from our conversation to let you know about our monthly live Q&A that my wife Christy and I do on the last Wednesday of every month 
from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This live Q&A is exclusively for our monthly Nothing is Wasted partners, where we answer questions and chat about life, loss, love, leadership, parenting, and anything else you're curious about. You can access this live Q&A and all the past ones we've done by going to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and signing up to be a $20 a month partner. This partner tier gives you access to all content in our $5 and $10 a month tiers as well, which includes bonus episodes, episode commentaries, monthly teaching videos, and more. So if you want to have a chat with Christy and I this month, go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to get signed up now. Let's jump back into the interview. So you find yourself on the mission field. You're there, boots on the ground, and yes. um, continue uh, after oh, yeah, I yeah. so rudely interrupted you, and we took a whole uh, rabbit trail down there. Yes. <laughs> Terrible. Um, yeah. So the journey now, there's been a lot that's been happening. I would say in the past, I've lost count of months right now, like six months, to where I would have always said everything is fine, and I have. Um, I've been having these crazy symptoms for the past year and a half. And it's been such a difficult wondering in the past year and a half, like, what are my symptoms meaning? Um, what's going on? I'm exhausted all the time. Um, it's been so frustrating. Lots of unanswered questions, which unanswered medical questions can just be mm. exhausting yeah. on their own. Um, and just seeing the Lord and being like, well, what's going on with this? Like, who am I right now that I am so exhausted all the time and mm. that I feel like I don't have the energy to do anything? Um, and at different points, um, different doctors that I had gone to did different tests. Um, and at different points, they each asked like, um, like, do you think you have, or you're depressed? And the times I've been asked that I've been quite indignant on the situation mm. saying, um, uh, like I have a good life. Thanks very much. And, um, I love what I do. I love where I live. So, um, thank you very much. I'm not depressed. Um, mm. my circumstances are great. Um, so then, that's been my answer yeah. because um, I had equated circumstances as being like, Oh, there's no, re- no way I could be. Um, and then this past October, it just kind of, everything came to a head. Um, and through the wisdom of a great friend who just asked like, man, all these symptoms you're having, like, do you think it could be? Mm. And for some reason of all the times that's been asked, hers just clicked. It was like a puzzle piece that like finished the puzzle. And it was like, Oh, Oh, that's, that's what this is. Mm. Oh my goodness. And through that, there was a realization that this depression isn't just a now thing, but that had been like my entire life that I had just misdiagnosed. Wow. Um, when I was younger, I can go back. I was, I was 13 years old. I just really, I had this moment where I was really trying to see what I believed and why. And so I just kind of ran away from God and ran far away and I didn't want to be with him. And I, um, I hated God in those, that time. And throughout that process, then I attempted suicide at one point. Mm. Um, and that attempt was a real wake up call for me of waking up and thinking, oh my goodness, like I, I'm like miles away from God right now. And I don't even know how I got here. And I can't believe that I kind of just tried that. Um, and so God really spared my life and that and kind of woke me up. Mm. And even in then I would share my testimony with people and tell them about that usually. And I would always say, but at that point, like my depression, I wasn't like really, I didn't have real depression. Mine was more of like a spiritual thing Mm. in me. 
And so then throughout my life, I've had these different moments where I have what I call these spiral moments or like the thoughts that would come in. Um, and especially in the past like few years, a lot of the spirals were happening more and more. And generally it's like I, since I'm not an emotional person generally, so like I would build up emotion for like months, have a cry for like 15, 20 minutes, get my emotion out. And then I'd be logical about like, let's fight this with God's truth. Let's, um, you know, put the armor of God on because this is all spiritual. Mm. And what I realized and what really came out in October was, yeah, like there's totally a spiritual aspect to this. Um, but this is much more. Mm. And it's been over 20 years of me not recognizing that, not naming that, not realizing what this was. And so now it's like, oh, oh, this is, oh, this is big. Mm. And so been through a lot since then of kind of recognizing that journey more and kind of, I think the more it becomes real, the more you can deal with it. If you just ignore something and um, don't yeah. deal with it, then it just gets bigger. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've been realizing in this journey is that I have this analogy of pebbles and boulders of um, we each have all these pebbles that come into our lives of problems or situations or even like to-do lists. And if we put off like the pebbles, they become boulders, which mm. then become this unmanageable monster in our lives. And so for so long, I had these pebbles of this that I had just never dealt with. Yeah. And then now it's this monster boulder that I'm like, what do I do with this? What do I do? Wow. And how do I go forward? And it really was this, especially when I realized what it was, it was this <clears> awakening <throat> of saying, man, I need help. Like I need professional help. Um, and this is a big deal that mm. I need to deal with. And so um, I've been back in the States now for a couple of months and getting counseling and getting help. Um, and so it's been a huge moment of kind of putting a lot of these things together, um, realizing the problem that it is and saying, all right, like, how do I go forward with this? Yeah. And so there's been a lot of, I'm a very visual person. And so God gives me great visuals because he knows I need them. Yeah. Um, and part of that has been, it's felt like I've been at this moment of decision of either left or right that I can choose of saying like on the left, like that's my familiar path. And one of the visuals that I had in the midst of like when everything kind of like I realized it was depression, I, hit rock bottom and was there for a few weeks with panic attacks and um, just a lot of, a lot of mess that was happening then. And this visual that I had, I envisioned myself first. I felt like I was trapped in this box. And the second visual, I just felt like I was in the fetal position in this corner um, of my old church, actually, when I was a child. And I have these weights that were strapped on my back and it's like, like a ball and chain kind of thing where it was like, one long chain with two big circular weights and they were all just over my shoulders hanging on to there. Mm. And Jesus was next to me and he was saying like, Sarah, you don't, you don't have to carry these weights. Like I can carry these weights for you. And I was like, but these are my weights. Like Mm. I know these weights. And so in my visual, these paths as well, it's like that path on the left, like my weights are there. And every time I go on that path, I just, I put these weights on, and it's like, I'm proud of the weights because it's like, look how strong I am mm. that I can carry these weights on my own. I'm so strong. Wow. Um, I don't need anyone else. I got this. Thank yeah. you. Um, and I know that path, that path of shame, that path of fear, um, that path of expectations of guilt. I know it like incredibly well, mm. but that's no longer a path I want to take. And so this very much felt like this is a, a big decision moment in my life of how am I going to live the rest of my life? 
because the path that I've been on, I've been unable to receive love from anyone because mm. I can't let them in that deep. Because if they, my fear has been like, if you saw like deep within me, you would reject me. Mm. And so I can't let you see my emotions because if you saw my emotions, you would think I'm weak um, or mm. you would think that I have more issues and I don't want anyone to see that. God included. So I shut him out as well. Um, and that's not a life I want. And so it really became this realization of, all right, like what life, how do I want to live the rest of my life right now? I want to live in love. I want to be able to receive the love of God, receive the love of my friends and my family. Yeah. I have to, because otherwise I'm living unloved and that's not the life that God has. Mm. And so the path that I picture myself on right now, it's a terrifying path. Um, mm. It's dark. Um, I can like very much visualize the path. It's this like very um, narrow like stone path that's like really uneven stones. And I, I'm a very clumsy person that trips a lot. So I get very <laughs> nervous about uneven stones because I am that person that will be the one that trips and falls. Uh. <laughs> I slip, I slide. It's just, it's great. Um, and so this path is very rocky. There's also like a big like cliff on the other side mm. of it. And I hate heights so much. And so this path and it's dark and this path is terrifying. But on this path, God is next to me. Um, he's the torchbearer. And his torch isn't showing five steps in front. It's showing like this next step. So yeah. I'm not going to trip on those rocks. And he's there. And he's on the cliff side so that I don't have to be there. And he's just saying stair step by step. Like mm. this isn't a sprint. Step by step, we're going to do this together. And there's going to be potholes and I'm probably going to trip at some point mm. and I'm probably going to like go back and think maybe I need those weights again because God, look how I just tripped. That's so much shame. How have I done that? Like I'm back into my old thinking again. Like, and there's mm. so much fear for me in the future right now of saying, oh man, like what if I go back? What if I trip? What if I fall? And that realization that God's next to me there to pick me up and to say, don't be afraid. Mm. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Let's keep going because I'm here and I'm not going to like laugh at you that you tripped and fell. Um, I'm not going to shame you that you did that. Mm. I'm going to say I'm right by your side. Yeah. And with that, I've had um, this studying even like the prodigal son even more mm. and um, the shame of the prodigal son of how like that shame could have kept him in that pigsty forever. Right. right. Forever. Like, it, and if it wouldn't take his humility to be like, I got to go back. Yeah. And then when he went back, I just, I have this mental image of coming back with like the head down in shame of just like, mm. I know what I've done. And yet God, the father, like wasn't there saying like, you terrible son, like before I welcome you back, I want to hear you say these things. Yeah. I want you to feel even more like crap before I let you back in. Yeah. doesn't do that. Instead, he's like waiting and looking and it's like, my son is back. Mm. And I just picture him lifting his head up, lifting up his chin and saying, you don't have to look down in shame. You don't. Yeah. Cause my love is here for you. And I picture that then with myself of saying the shame that we can so easily live by. God keeps saying, man, lift your head up. Like, mm. I'm not putting you in shame. Let me take off that weight from you because you keep putting on the weight of shame that I'm not putting on you. Yeah, wow. That's not for you to bear. 
take off these weights. Yeah. You're weighing yourself down in a journey that you don't, you don't need to be weighing yourself with this because these things aren't true. That's not who you are. Yeah. And so that's this journey. And now, and now it just feels like, man, who knows? Like this journey ahead, it feels very unknown in many ways to me yeah. of saying, like, I'm heading back to Uganda in a little over a week. Um, and it's that prayer of saying, God, I'm still on this journey. Mm-hmm. And the reality is with depression, like I'm probably going to keep on this lifelong journey. And now it's like saying, okay, well, what tools do I have? Um, how do I keep on this path? Um, how do I build myself up, you know, like for success yeah. in this? Like, who am I surrounding myself with? How am I reaching out for help? Yeah. Um, as someone who never asked for help, I hated asking for help my whole life. I still, I hate asking for help. Um, and in the moment when this depression hit and I had to reach out for help, it literally took all of the strength I had in me mm. to reach out. And I mean, like all the strength, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I can even tell someone right now. Mm. It felt like this is too much for me to do. And so knowing that it took every bit of me to reach out for help and the strength that it took for that. It's also been like a mind shift of saying it's not, doesn't show your weakness to ask for yeah, help, but actually right. shows your strength. Um, and kind of changing my mindset too of saying in this journey, I'm going to need help. Yeah. And it's not going to be weakness to ask for that. It's going to be strength to say, man, we're meant to live in community and I, I need community yeah. in this. Wow. You know, what's, what's really beautiful about hearing you talk about this right now is the fact that you're so, you're entrenched in it. I mean, this yeah. is something that you are currently wrestling through right now. And um, I feel like there's something unique about being in ministry and walking through trial because um, it's, and it might be this for, for everybody. I don't know. I've never held a different kind of like occupation. I, I know for everybody, as you're walking through trial, you still have to get up and kind of go to work and you still have to kind of figure out how to do life. If you're walking through some deep set depression or you're, you're figuring out how to still perform at your workplace or perform in your, in the family and hold families together. If you're a mom or whatever that looks like, but in ministry, you kind of walk through your trial and have to, um, almost impart to people what you're learning in real time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's this. <laughs> yeah. It's like this. Okay. Here's something I'm struggling with. And it's, and I'm expected to try to minister to you at the same time. Yeah. So it requires a sense of, you know, this like humility or vulnerability to go, Hey, I don't have this figured out. Yeah. I'm not in this like quote unquote overcomer place right now even though I know the promise is, is that we are, you know, we are more than conquerors in Christ. I don't feel like that right now. Um, but what I think is beautiful about this is that sometimes just hearing the overcomer story, we can get a little bit disenfranchised by it yeah. because there are many of us who are like, Hey, we're dead set in the middle of this thing. And I just want to know that somebody else who is also carrying out some meaningful work in ministry is is also dead set in the middle of this. Yeah. And every day having to make a conscious decision to take off the weights that she's wanting to put right back on because it's yeah. familiar and it's routine. And I think that this is extremely profound. Um, but, but maybe if you can give us some insight into you reference some of those tools that you're going to be using as you move forward in this, some of the things you've learned over the past, you know, since October, when you really kind of came to this realization, yeah. 
Um, what are things that you're going, Hey, I know you already mentioned communities. One of those, if you want to expound on that, that's great. But if there's some other, like, what are some tools that you're like, okay, I'm definitely carrying this into the next season as I'm, as I'm struggling through this and fighting through this to make sure I'm not back in that same place. Yeah. For me right now, community is a big one because my game before was isolation. Mm. And I was really good at that. Um, I talk like in the, in our Christian lives, I feel like it's easy to, to be falsely vulnerable to, um, <laughs> yep. I can talk to people in a cerebral sense, just like I can say on a very cerebral matter of fact, um, I have been diagnosed as clinically depressed right. and with anxiety. Right. It's for me, that's a fact. Um, and I can tell people facts that can sound vulnerable, mm. but the reality is there's a depth of me that I've been hiding for so long. Mm. And it's been so terrifying. And so my goal right now is to not hide anymore. And that doesn't mean I'm going to open my mess and my feelings to everyone. But that does mean I'm going to choose close friends that I can say, um, I I need your help. Um, So a couple things with that. So with my three closest friends, I've talked with them and said, I don't want you to keep asking how I'm doing. I want you to keep asking me, how are you feeling? Mm. Because feelings are something that I have pretended I haven't had for my entire life. Um, So now it's to say, okay, I got to acknowledge that I feel things and that those things affect me. And it doesn't make me weak. And so I need people to ask me. I need to be asking myself. I keep meaning to. I need to set reminders like three times a day to ask, like, how are you feeling? Mm. And to take that time. Because usually I'm just like, fine, fine. Like, <laughs> fine. like I'm never thinking right. about my feelings. That's right. just not like my entire life. That's not how I've been wired. So instead now it's me saying, okay, like, how am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling discouraged? Am I feeling motivated? Am I feeling unmotivated? Like what's happening in there? Yeah. So then I can kind of process it and say, okay, that's how I feel. Why do I feel that way? Okay, let's kind of dig into that more instead of just like never acknowledging it and then just keeping going with life. Right. So community to me is a huge part of that of saying I I need help and I need to open myself up. Um, and for someone else, maybe something different, but my little isolated self needs that community. That's good. Um, I'm going to continue in counseling as well. I think that's a huge thing yeah. of realizing, yeah, I've had help, but like I'm going to keep needing help for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on medicine, which has been a life changer as well. <laughs> um, yeah, that's been something where there's all different levels of depression and some people need medicine and some don't, but the realization that like right now, mm. like I need, I need medicine to function, yeah. Um, which is, yeah, another point of like humility as well. I feel yeah, like, to like admit, like, hey, I'm in a place where I need this in order to get yeah. back to a recalibration. Yeah. Sometimes you need that to begin to absorb truth. Yeah. You're, you're at a place where you can't even like start to, you know, put the building blocks together for what a healthier uh, rhythm looks like, a healthier pattern of thinking looks like because things are so disorienting. Yeah. And so to recognize that, that does, that's some humility right there to go, Oh, I, it's a little extra dose of vulnerability to say, yeah, Hey guys, I need some, I need, I need, I need some medication right now to get, back into this place, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that vulnerability in ministry is a bigger thing too, where mm. um, in Uganda, no one talks mental illness, like yeah. ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So I shared with my group of friends, as well as like the girls that I work with, both of them, I said, here is what's going on right now in my life. I'm a mess. Um, and so every one of them said, I've never known anyone with depression before. Mm. And so I was like, I mean, like you probably have, but like, yeah. No, you just didn't um, know, yeah. because I didn't know. I mean, the reality is I didn't know I had depression for over 20 years. So right. it's not an, an unusual thing really. Right. So um, it's been walking that journey with them. And so I'm excited actually to go back now with like, you know, a few steps further on my journey yeah. with like some healthy points in place and to walk that journey, even with them of saying, man, here's what I'm going through. Um, here's what I, I have with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most importantly, really, is this walking with God through this mm. and that mindfulness. And like with this depression and lack of motivation and the frustrating bits of it, um, I feel like there's God and I are like an on-off relationship right now where there's mm. times that I'm like, yes, like I need to hear from you. And it's like so good. And there's times where I'm just like, oh, yeah, like I maybe haven't talked with you in a few days. And mm. I really be good for me to do this, uh, which normally it's also there's so much humbling bits of this to where yeah. I was always very proud that. I was like the everyday devotion person, mm. like, oh, sorry, you're not consistent. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so now it's been like, I am in that person who I'm like, man, it's a rough season for this. And at the same time, knowing that I need him all the more. Mm. And so that's the reality too. But I think that holding on to the truth of who he is in this is saying like, he is with me. Yeah in truth and not listening to those lies and having my friends be true speakers into my life, but they can't speak truth into a lie that they don't know that I'm believing. Ooh, wow. So like, wow. I have to then be open with the lies that I'm believing. So then they can know and say, that's a lie. That's great. Um, this has been wonderful. I, I want, before we, before we jump off, I, I know that um, you and I both in our journeys have learned uh, a bit about, you know, safe community, the difference between, especially ministry, the difference between safe yeah. community, unsafe community. And so, you said that you've got, you know, three friends or so. I can't remember if that was exactly yeah. the number that you said that you've identified as like, okay, these are my safe community. You can't like disclose the raw parts of you to everybody. You can't be super transparent to everybody and open yourself up to everybody. And you especially can't do that um, oftentimes the people that you're ministering to, right? Because it's just it creates a weird environment there. But you have identified safe community. How, how would you explain safe community to help other people identify that in their life? You know, if you're encouraging people to say, hey, these are the, this is what it looks like to have a few really safe people that you can not just tell them how you're doing. I love that distinction. Don't ask me how yeah. I'm doing. Ask me how I'm feeling because feeling yeah. gets down to the being. Yeah. Right? And, and we... I have a friend, we talk every single week and we catch ourselves going like, Hey, how you doing? And then we start talking about doing ministry. Exactly. This is what's doing going on. It's an action. And that's, it's been frustrating even in the season. Uh, I mean, depression is like that lack of motivation, that lack of really being able to function yeah. a lot of times. And so when people ask, how are you doing? I'm always like, I mean, what do I tell you? Like, yeah. it's, and yeah. so then, then that's all well the more important that I feel like, no, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm doing a lot right now. Yeah. So like, how me how I'm feeling. That's so good. That's going to be there. So what is that? Who, how do you qualify that safe community in your life? How do people go about finding that? You know, you know, I feel like safe community is the thing that we all deeply desire. Yeah. Um, 
it's different in the States because it's a very individualistic culture. So we're mm. very about ourselves um, in American culture yeah. and not in like a more community sense, which Uganda is very community oriented. Um, and we all desire that. And I would say even my girls in Uganda, we talk about this as saying, how do I find someone who's trustworthy? They'll mm. always ask me that. And I'll always say, well, it has to start with you. Like if you're not trustworthy, then you can't build trustworthy yeah, relationships. That's good. And so I think the question a lot of people struggle with is saying, how do I find a safe person? Yeah. Which is so hard because that's a lot of trial and error, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's a lot of heart hurt that happens in the midst of that where you're like, who is my safe person? Right. Who can I be vulnerable with and not just falsely vulnerable with? Mm. Um, and I think that takes steps of faith. Um, that takes being vulnerable yourself um, being hurt yourself. Um, I was just meeting with the pastor's wife today and she said, I try to, um, to love others as if I've never been hurt before. Mm. She said something like that. And I thought that was such a, like a way of saying, you know, we love people usually with these hesitations yep. of like, but you're going to hurt me. So I'm going to like keep you out like this thing. Wow. And there's a point though, if we want those deep relationships that we have to then open up first, yeah. I can't expect the other person to start if that's what I'm wanting. Yeah. That means I got to put myself out there first. And that is some scary stuff. <laughs> and that means like there's going to be rejection and there's going to be hurt. Yeah. Um, but then when you find the ones that reciprocate that, that's when you've struck gold. Yeah. That is like the best part of life is to have. And I am so honored that I have three people in my life and even more really that I could say, man, I could tell you anything and you would still love me. Mm. Um, it's just, I've known in my head that's been true with these people, but I've never lived it out in my actions because I've been too afraid. And so right now with those relationships really has those conversations of saying, Hey, I've been terrified that if you knew the real me, that you wouldn't actually love me. Mm. And I know in my head, that's not true. And I know in my head, there's not like a big bombshell in my life that you'd be like, Whoa, we can't love you with that. Um, but that's what I believed. And to be honest enough to even share that with them of saying, here's my fear. You still love me. <laughs> and then reiterating back, like we do. So I think to cultivate that, you have to be that yourself. Yeah. Um, and that it's a hard journey for yeah. that, but the gift of having those kinds of true friends, like that can't be replaced. That's, yeah. that's a beautiful, beautiful part of my life. Wow. Sarah, this has been wonderful. It's been so good to, well, not just hear that, you know, the journey that you've been on that you're currently going through right now, but also just to catch up with you. Yeah. See your face again. And it's just been, um, thank you for spending the time to do this with me. Oh, it's been such an honor. I think, and we talked about this before, um, as I even debated, cause it's hard to share things in the midst of the struggle, yeah. but the reality is to God be the glory with this. Yeah. Like if anything, this is going to show my mess and my weakness but his strength in all this is what has kept me going. Like I could not be here. I could not be sharing this if it were not for the strength of God. Um, and to him be the glory with that. Like my yeah. whole story really is me not trusting, me being a mess and him being like, but I am, I am great. Wow. And so I lean into that of saying, this is who I am in the Lord. And I'm a mess, but man, he is so great. That's great. Um, he's so great. Man. Well, I'm believing this next season, maybe these next 10 years of ministry yeah. are going to be really, really fruitful for you because of some of these, um, some of these deep wrestlings and deep truths that you, you know, uh, planted inside of your heart 
And yeah, and that's where even the title of the podcast of Nothing is Wasted. I just, I look at this and say, God, I know you're not going to waste mm-hmm. this. That's right. And it makes me excited to see how will you use this in ministry? How will you transform people because of what you have done yeah. through my own hurts and my own struggles? Yeah. And that's the greater bit of this of saying, man, there's hardship, but he has these plans for us that we say, all right, Lord, use this, God, whatever way you want to use this use it. Yeah. That's so great. Well, I know our listeners benefited so much from hearing from you. I benefited so much. Thank you again for spending this time with us. Yeah. It's really been an honor. Mel, that was an incredible interview. And before we start to dialogue a little bit about it, I want you to hear from one of our resident counselors, Allison Cook. Allison is, uh, we call her Dr. Allison Cook is the actual official term for her, but she's a counselor, a speaker. She's the co-author of Boundaries for Your Soul. And for over 20 years, Allison has helped women, ministry leaders, couples, and families learn how to heal painful emotions. And um, and so we're going to be doing this quite a bit over the next, uh, for, for this particular series, over the next two episodes after this, Allison's going to come on and give us her expertise commentary. We're going to do this for future episodes with other resident counselors. What a blessing it is that we have to be able to hear from people who have uh, a lot of knowledge and experience on how to walk through these things. So go ahead and take a listen to what Allison Cook has to say about this previous interview. Okay, so you guys just heard an amazing story from Sarah, and I want to highlight some key themes. The first one that I want to highlight is Sarah talked about God telling her. God really gave her specific directions about becoming a missionary. She also described how she wasn't completely on board with that. And I really want you guys to understand that we have, we, we are made up of, there are many parts of us, we're multifaceted. And so what became clear in Sarah's story is that at the core of her spirit-led self, she wanted to obey God, but there were parts of her that weren't yet online. And I would just encourage all of you, if you have a strong sense of God's leading, to talk to people about it and to test it. I call it the fruit of the spirit check, kind of test to make sure that these other parts of you that are doubting or unsure or not exactly ready to jump on board, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being disobedient. It might mean that you still need some growing, some making sure, some some holding out the fleece before God. So be gentle with yourself. If you sense the voice of God and there are parts of you that are like, I don't want to do that. You don't want to force yourself into something when you're not completely bought in. And so I really appreciated that she talked about how, and when I talk about the, when I mentioned the fruit of the spirit test, you could hear in her voice how much love and joy and peace she'd found in this calling. So it had, it had stood the fruit of the spirit test. She wasn't angry. She wasn't bitter. She knew at the end of the day that this was what she was supposed to be doing. And so I really appreciated that about her story. But I want you to know that if you're struggling inside with what feels like a call from God that isn't reconciling with some aspects of who you are, that's okay. Talk to somebody about that. Really listen to yourself. God wants you to be on board with His calling for you. Um, She also touched on the idea of fear. And I just thought it was so great that she... um, 
talked about this idea that fear isn't a rebuke. It's a reassurance from God. It's not a sin to fear. Fear is just a feeling. It's an emotion. You want to face it. You want to get curious about it. But actually, the best way not to be overcome by fear is to acknowledge it and to incorporate it into your conversations with your safe people. And then that leads me to one of her other main points was about vulnerability and safe people. When she realized that she was struggling with depression, she knew that she had to put safe people around her. She had to be able to talk openly about her feelings. Um, I think she said something to the effect of, my goal right now is not to hide. That doesn't mean I'm gonna open my mess to everyone, but I'm gonna choose those friends wisely. And I wanted to just give you some tips on finding safe people. Whether you're discerning a calling, whether you're walking through a depression, or whether you're facing fear, a safe person won't spiritualize your feelings. They won't tell you there's something wrong with you because you're feeling fear or because you're not sure you can carry out God's call. A safe person will listen, will empathize, will ask questions will walk with you as you discern what's going on inside of you. Anyone who is trying to manipulate you or get you to do something you're not comfortable with is not a safe person. So I'd encourage you to find your safe people as, you know, you need to have safe people in place before you have a crisis, before you're discerning a major life decision. You need to identify those people who you trust so that you can really be wise in those steps that you're taking. The other, the last thing that Sarah touched on is this idea of what I would call a religious protector. She talked about how she had a part of her that was very, um, really engaged in her spiritual disciplines. And when she went through her depression, she actually mentioned, she said, I'm not as good at that anymore. And what I want you to hear me say is when you, you get in contact with those more vulnerable aspects of who you are, the sadness, even the depression, the loneliness, you might feel less close to God, but that is when God is closest to you. When you're honest and open about those feelings, God is there with you. And so don't shy away from that. Don't don't hide behind those what I call religious protectors that can masquerade a little bit as a voice of God. Um, they want you to be perceived as a good Christian, but really what it means to walk by faith is to come to God and come to your trusted advisors with those feelings that you're having. Thank you, Allison, for that commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I wow. really appreciate when we bring her on the show. She's just so full of wisdom and grace and um, just has so much to offer. I'm glad that mm-hmm. she's going to be with us on the next two episodes. I know, me too. Um, We want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And I'm looking forward to the last two episodes in our series um, about mental health. So next week's episode is actually going to be with Kayla Stocklin. You may have heard of Mm -hmm. her, um, but here's a little clip of next week's episode. He gave that message, gave another message. And in the second message, he gave out the suicide hotline statistics mm. and was talking about um, just things from the NAMI website, you know, different statistics about mental illness and suicide. And and he knew the facts. Like, he knew all the information. He gave out the suicide hotline number. Like, he mm. knew all the right answers. And he, he understood, um, logically understood what he was going through and right. rationally knew 
where to go for help and was, when was helping other people. But I think at the same time, he still had this inner battle going on inside of him. Um, and he wasn't 100%. He was only 65%. And so headed into the third, the third weekend, he was supposed to give another message and headed into that weekend. He just had a really bad day at the office. There was a trigger and just had a really awful day at the office and kind of sent him in a spiral. And the next day is when he attempted suicide. 